Every single one of us has a role to play in making the community better. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. We've released over 40 episodes of 360 Degree City, covering a range of topics from cycling to public art to urban agriculture and much, much more. While we've explored issues and topics related to cities, we thought it might be helpful to spend some time focusing on the different actors that impact how we build our cities. So we've developed a multi-part series where I talk to different kinds of city builders about what they do, why they do it, and what unique approaches and challenges they represent. Our hope is that by the end of the series, you'll have some new perspectives on these actors and how to work with them, whether you're a seasoned city builder yourself or just starting to explore the complexity of the places we live. This first episode is about the elected official. I sit down with Calgary's mayor, Nahed Nenshi, to discuss what it means to be an elected official, the best of what they can bring to city building, and some problematic practices of those who hold elected office. Let's dive in. Okay, so maybe before we kick off, uh, can you introduce yourself and what it is that you do? Sure, I'm Nahid Nenshi. I'm the mayor of Calgary. Okay. Uh, so prior to you becoming mayor, uh, you were obviously involved in city building in a variety of different ways. Uh, what was it about the elected official position, the mayoral position, that's, uh, why did you want to go there to evolve your contribution? So it's probably helpful to have a bit of background. Um, I come at being an elected official from probably a relatively unique place. Uh, before I was in this job, I was a professor. My field is nonprofit management. I taught in a business school. But I'm also very interested in cities and how they evolve. So I had written a little book, more of a big pamphlet, uh, around the future of cities. And I spent a lot of my time uh, dealing with media and stuff, talking about how cities could change, and particularly being a bit of an opposition for the city of Calgary. I wrote a column uh, in the local newspaper kind of watching city council mm -hmm. and what they were doing. So I have basically had two fields of research interest. I was a terrible researcher, <laughs> um, but I theoretically had two fields of interest. One was about how cities grow and evolve as places where human beings congregate. Mm -hmm. And the other was about civic engagement, why and how people get involved in their communities. And focusing on the second one for a second, um, we actually learned that it is very easy to get people to get involved in their community. The number one reason people don't volunteer is nobody asked me. Hmm. And so you just have to ask them. That's why I continue to have this program called Three Things for Canada, where we just encourage everyone to do three acts of community service every year. So that part was pretty easy. What we found, though, is while it was relatively simple to get people involved in their community, it was very, very hard to get people involved in politics, hmm. especially young people and particularly women. And so before the 2010 municipal election, I spent about a year going around trying to convince other people that they should run for city council and they should <laughs> run for mayor. Um, I talked to, you know moms who were really engaged in their parent councils to retired CEOs to really every kind of person who I just thought had a valuable voice. And I struck out every single time. Hmm. Not one person with whom I spoke agreed to run for office. And I particularly, by the way, struck out with women. Hmm. And I always say that I'm very used to striking out with women, but this was different. <laughs> um, 
a lot young women in particular just did not see a role for themselves in political office. Mm. Everything from the hours don't make any sense if you've got little kids to I don't want every single mistake I made on the front page of the newspaper and have my family have to deal with that. But a lot of people also said, you know, I, I would fight with them, right? I would say, but it can all be different. If we elect better people, then we can make better decisions and government can be more relevant to what we're doing. Because people are cynical. They don't believe that who they elect makes a difference and so on and so on. And I kept saying that and people said, well, look, if you believe that enough, why are you just standing on the sidelines? Why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing this yourself? Uh, is it enough to just be a bystander? And so I thought hard about that. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just a wonky professor. I'm the one who comes up with the ideas and then I advocate for them. And then I thought, what would, it be, what would it be like if I were the one actually working on implementing those ideas? And I'm a strategist by training and at heart. So I said, all right, is there a way that a not very well-known wonky professor completely lacking in charisma and money could actually win an election against you know, professional politicians and well-funded folks? And I kind of sat down and thought, well, there is a way to do it if we really engage people deeply in the issues they care about in their community. We called it politics in full sentences. Sometimes people still say to me, full sentences is okay, but why do there have to be so many of them? <laughs> um, and that is really how I ended up doing this. So uh, it's a very long answer to a question, but I, I want to mm -hmm. highlight mm -hmm. that I come at this in a weird way because I come at it sort of oddly qualified for the job. You know, I've got a master's degree in public administration. Yeah. Um, I've worked really on city issues and so on. But when you look across my city council, there are two professional planners there's someone with a PhD in urban sociology, but there's also a retired elementary school principal and someone who uh, had a dress shop and uh, designed fashion. Uh, and I love the, someone in the aviation industry, an ex-cop. And I love that you don't need special training for this job. What you right. need is a love of the community and an ability to work hard and be passionate about building the kind of city that's better for everyone. Mm -hmm. And and so <clears throat> with this kind of mini-series that we're doing, one, this, that's one of the interesting differences with elected officials is that diversity of when they get to the job uh, of background. So um, with, with that in mind and that idea that you have sort of, you were studying and engaged on the outside, so to speak, and now you've had multiple terms as mayor, what do you see as the best of the contributions that an elected official can bring to the city building process? I think there's two important things. The first is precisely because you don't bring that professional mindset, you have the ability to add a layer of the public interest, mm -hmm. a layer of what's right. And sometimes people say a political layer, but and sometimes that feels dirty. I don't think politics is a dirty word at all, but a layer of, you know, how, what will be saleable, what will people want, how do we move the community in the ways we need at a pace that makes sense for the community. Mm -hmm. And so I think that politicians can be very helpful in terms of that. The other thing that's helpful about politicians, you get new ones from time to time. <laughs> and that fresh blood and that fresh way of thinking can often shake up uh, folks who are like, but we've always done it like this. And nobody legitimately you know, says we've always done it like this, but we all fall into patterns of behavior. And so sometimes having a fresh set of eyes saying, well, why, why don't you think about it like this can be extraordinarily helpful. Mm -hmm. 
And so if we go to the other side of the coin, what are some of the most problematic contributions or habits or practices that you've observed with elected officials? And how so we the person who runs our roads department is well used to me phoning him. And I always say, start my calls by saying, as a qualified transportation engineer, I have the following thoughts. <laughs> I am not in any way a qualified transportation engineer, but I do know my commute. And so sometimes what we do is we take what we do know and override other people's professional expertise. Mm. Uh, sometimes, you know, we get lobbied and the last person we talk to uh, helps us uh, set up our decision. Certainly in politics, there can be short-termism. It's mm. less uh, prevalent at the municipal level than it is in other orders of government. But it does happen. Uh, people can think about, well, how will this look in the next election? And so that can be challenging. And I think the best governance happens when you've got a healthy tension, but a healthy tension between uh, the professional expertise of our administration and that public interest filter of councillors. Uh, but certainly, we got to know what we don't know. Hmm. On the other hand, I may not be a qualified transportation engineer, but I am an expert in my own commute. Right. Because I do it every day. Yeah. And so... I'm actually right when I say that left turn lane is incorrect <laughs> sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing I think we always have to think about. I am really driven by evidence-based decision-making. Good data equals good decisions. And that means listening to expert opinion. But it also means broadening our definition of expert. Absolutely. And so, you know, for example, I happen to love public transit. I take it whenever I can. Uh, when I travel to a new city, I don't like to take a cab from the airport. I like to figure out how to get there on public transit, especially when you're mayor. People sometimes find that a little weird. <laughs> I was recently on a uh, conference in the Netherlands, and they had arranged a car for me to go to the airport, which was an hour and a half away, in the middle of rush hour. And I just said, cancel the car. There's a subway station right outside of my <laughs> building. And the commuter train will get me to the airport much faster than the car will. Yeah, yeah. And they were a bit shocked. But you're the mayor. And I'm like, yeah, just show me how to use the turnstile. <laughs> I don't know which of these uh, cards I got to use. But, you know, so I love public transit. I'm a, in, in another world, I'd be a train spotter. Hmm. And here at the city, there are tons of people who are network optimization specialists who understand fares and structures. There are people who know how to drive buses and trains and people who know how to fix them. But we're not collectively the experts in public transit. The expert in public transit is the person who takes the bus every day. Hmm. And she can tell you what's working about the system and what isn't mm -hmm. and what little things you need to do to fix it. I have a live example of that right now. We just did a, a series of major changes to our routes. And, you know, at the macro level, the data seemed to be working. And I had a citizen call me and say, my bus is always three minutes late. And I said, okay. And she goes, the three minutes it causes me to miss my connection, which means that my five-kilometer drive to work now takes 75 minutes. I'm buying a car unless that bus can come three minutes early. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's the kind of thing we actually need to hear, that this is how people live. 
Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to really balance off our own judgment and our own biases with expert opinion with what the public is actually telling us. And that's the trick in this. And if you get that wrong, you can be very bad. Mm-hmm. And that's a reoccurring uh, theme of our conversations has been this, you know, the idea of choice architecture and that, that folks who design systems very clearly influence the choices that people inside this, the folks inside the system make. And, but that has to be a two way conversation as, as systems evolve and, and the choices that are made. We're in the midst of building uh, the green line, which is by far mm-hmm. by almost an order of magnitude, the largest public works project that we've ever done. And because it's so expensive and because there are so many engineering issues with it, We've started to use the language of engineering and construction to talk about it, which is fine because we have to do mm-hmm. it. I, the, may, the mayor's four favorite words are on time, on budget, and we've got to figure out how to get these things in on time, on budget. But I keep reminding people it's also a public transit project. It actually has to get people from home to work safely and fast and efficiently uh, or else people won't use it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can lose track of that. Mm-hmm. And in a few minutes ago, you mentioned short-termism. I'm always curious to, to hear how uh, elected officials navigate that, that tension between the demands and needs of today and considering the long-term implications of you know the green line, the decision when, once it gets made, the alignments made once it gets built. Those are generational decisions, but there are people calling you every day, I'm sure, about specifics on it. How do you how do you navigate that? I really do think that at the municipal order of government, it's easier hmm. because we are physically building communities and we understand that the nature of what we're building has to last. Hmm. Uh, you know, when we think about climate, for example, sometimes conversations about climate at the provincial level or at the federal level can be, feel very abstract. At the city, at the city order of government, I got to have berms and dikes, mm. or the river will flood. You know, I've got to figure out what I do about snow removal service standards because winters are getting wetter and wetter, and we're getting more and more snow. And so we don't have the luxury of living in the world of ideas. But weirdly, I feel like that makes us sometimes more long-term thinkers. Now, often we make lots of mistakes. When I first started in this job, I used to say that the city of Calgary had a very big say-do gap. Mm. Our policy was excellent. We were very good at saying the right things. We were very, very bad at ensuring that the daily decisions that we made were aligned to that policy. I think things are much better now, but particularly when we look at land use planning, it's still the same. You know, we approved 14 new communities last year, which knocked us way out on our long-term targets and no one seems to care Mm -hmm. i care and we can't just have wild pendulum swings uh, all the time we have to move steadily towards our target but the good news is that we always at least ask ourselves the questions now at the city whether we're professional staff or politicians is this decision aligned with our long-term plans Mm -hmm. and i think we've got to live in that world even more Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm And as we think about the future of cities and uh, long, not long term, big picture impacts like climate change through technology and any number of trends that are converging on our cities, how do you think elected officials need to evolve 
their thinking and their behaviors about the places they govern? I'm not sure that we need to evolve, um, because Lord knows what we would evolve into, (laughs) as much as ensure that we are really cognizant of what is going on in the world. So, you know, we can't ignore issues around climate, for example. We can't ignore increasing both tensions and opportunities around how we manage diversity. Mm. We can't ignore demographic change that means no matter how many young people we bring into the city, our population is aging. And I always say that if uh, any politician tells you that the aging population is not in the top three things they think about, they're not doing their job. Mm. When you think about city building, just use that as an example, when you think about city building, you know, we continue to have a mindset that we are building neighborhoods for young families with two kids, a stroller and a minivan, and certainly we have lots of those. But what happens when they get older? What happens when the kids leave home? Are we going to ensure that seniors who today are healthier and wealthier than they've ever been can continue to contribute to the community and continue to live in great neighborhoods? So these are tough questions. And municipal politicians, in thinking about the long term, have to be even more aware of those giant trends in the world, I think, than uh, federal or provincial politicians. Hmm. And, and one, uh, one of the final questions around if, if we have listeners that are just wanting to get involved, but the whole city building process seems intimidating and confusing, um, what advice would you give a local citizen of how to work with their elected official, particularly, uh, in terms of getting involved and contributing to the endeavor of building? Well, well just get involved. You know, join your local community association. Mm-hmm. You'll soon find yourself in being an expert on planning before you even knew it. Whether even you if you thought you were, even if you just thought you were there to, you know, shovel off the skating rink, which is also incredibly valuable work uh, that needs to be done. Just do it um, and figure out ways in which you can improve in your community. You might find that you're interested in the political side of things, working with the elected officials. You might find you hate it, but there are ways to contribute that really make things work. And you know. We have to think, if I may, I'll just go on a tangent for a moment, Please to do. think about what that concept of city building means. Because that language may feel a bit alien, mm-hmm. it may feel a bit technical. What it really means is building places that are great to live in. You know, when I was a volunteer uh, some 15 years ago now, is how I met you, um, with our process for building um, the 100-year vision of the city, you know, one of my jobs as a volunteer was to go through all the public feedback and try and synthesize and distill what we were hearing. And at that point, I think we engaged about 18,000 Calgarians. And truth be told, I didn't get through all 18,000 bits of feedback. What? Well, because what we found was that there was, and you'll remember this, there was a remarkable unanimity mm-hmm. in what people were saying. It didn't matter if you were young or old left-wing or right-wing, whatever those terms mean. I don't think they mean anything anymore. Um, People said the same thing. I want to live in a neighborhood where my kids can walk to school. I want to live in a neighborhood where lots of different kinds of people live so that my kids don't grow up thinking people there's only people like us. I want to live in a neighborhood where my parents can live nearby because I need the free babysitting and where I can walk to the store and I don't need a car for every one of my little errands. And so I thought to myself, well, okay, everyone wants the same thing. Why aren't we building that? 
Mm-hmm. And it's because citizen voices were not really being heard in that act, in that process. So everything from having that hockey outdoor ice rink in your neighborhood to building a very expensive and very amazing public library are all acts of city building. Mm-hmm. Uh, acts of community service are acts of city building. And no one should feel intimidated by that. So when you look at Calgary and you see there's been extraordinary city building that people write about in newspapers and magazines all over the world, right? This new public library is the thing I'm the most proud of, not only because it's architecturally beautiful, and it is, but also because you can go in there on a random Tuesday afternoon and see every kind of person, from very vulnerable people to rich kids from the suburbs who come downtown all sitting together in the same place. That's city building. You know, yeah, so it might mean rejuvenating an entire neighborhood like the East Village and creating something incredibly special uh, for thousands and thousands of people to live in. Or it might mean encouraging people in your neighborhood to have little free libraries on their front lawn where you can give a book or take a book. Mm -hmm. It's all city building. And every single one of us has a role to play in making the community better. Terrific. And uh, one very quick question, because I know you got to go. We ask every guest. And I will, I'll, I'll exclude Calgary because we'll expect that from you. Tell me about a city that you love and why. Mm, I love cities. I love cities so much. Um, I'm one of these people who really never goes on a beach or resort vacation. I just like to go and visit new cities. So, you know, I get my way to New York City every few years and try and see what is, ch- I mean, a few times a year, I should say, and see uh, what's changing and what's better there. But there are cities that I've only been to once, but that are burned in my mind, like Melbourne, Australia, um, and the amazing things they do in the pedestrian realm and making mm. people feel like they really live in that place. Or like Barcelona, which is Barcelona, <laughs> right? And uh, there are things we can learn everywhere, but there are great, great cities to, to learn from. So I'll finish by saying, this summer, I took a vacation in Winnipeg, and it was magnificent amazing (laughs) terrific all right well thanks so much for your time thank you today's perspective is one of many in city building every contributor has its challenges and opportunities if you think we missed any key points about this profession let us know email us at hello at 360degree.city stay tuned for our next episode in the series 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.